Right now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to come into your presence to worship you afresh and anew, to look outside and see your grace just by a snowflake. That you created individually, no two are alike, and yet, God, you tell us that all of our sins are forgiven and we are like that fresh first snow wider and wider we're clean and thank you God that you do that for us that in you there's no condemnation that in you we went from being slaves of sin to being heirs of Christ because of you God you knew us you predestined us to be like your son and God we thank you we praise you. We give you all the glory and honor. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. Welcome, church. You can be seated if you wish. Amazing. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Great worship. Great worship, right? <laughs> Woo! Yes, that's okay. You can give them, you can give God praise and give them praise. That's good. They did great, man. Do me a favor, turning your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We are going to conclude the series, No Condemnation, this morning. Let me just put it like this. Okay. Let's confess. Ready? Come on. Ready? All right. Anybody have a crazy Thanksgiving? I'm the only one? <laughs> Come on, don't let me be the only one this, up this morning. Uh, okay, what I mean is, any police show up at any Thanksgiving besides mine? <laughs> I went to Chicago. It's not my, it's not my, my fault. It's the area, okay? <laughs> yeah, we had the police show up at our house. Praise God, right? There you go. We'll, we'll do that one for another series one time, okay? Again, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're beginning in verse 31 through 39. If you got your finger there, put it in the text. Say amen. amen. All right. Let me ask you a question because this is a series of questions that are going to be asked. Have you ever known somebody that as much as you try, they always let you down? All right? If that person's sitting next to you, don't look at them now, okay? Don't do that, okay? I grew up with a guy, and I loved him to death. I still love him. In fact, he called me during the holidays. Um, and every time I would see this guy, you know, I tried to be there with him and help him. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And I just knew, no matter what, guess what he would do? He either wouldn't show up or he called me to cancel. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was just like this guy's MO, you know? It wouldn't matter. He would always make up an excuse. 
But for some reason, I would still trust. I would still hope that he was going to be there. You know? Anybody like me? Okay, come on. Remember, we could tell the truth and shame the devil. It's okay. All right? I would trust. I would hope. Yeah. That he would come through and most times, about 99.9% of the time, he would not. No matter what, he wouldn't be there. How about you? Ever know someone who said, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. I got you. And you wait and you wait and you wait and they don't show up. What did this cause you to feel? Right? If you're like me, I was like, I, I feel like a fool. Man, I keep trusting this guy. I keep trusting this guy. I keep trusting this guy. He, all he does is burn me. He just burns me every time. But yet I hoped, you know, because I wanted, he, I wanted to see God just move through him. So I'm like, God, I'm just going to keep on. I'm going to keep trusting one day. I can say praise God now, after 20 years, he, that guy is, he's faithful. Took a long time though, right? But this is not with Jesus. When Jesus tells you one time, the first time, you could take it to the bank. You could trust him. Amen? Amen. All right? Help me preach this morning, all right? I know that is anybody is anybody still stuck on got more tryptophan, more more turkey in them still? Okay. If your neighbor is falling asleep, just go like this to him, elbow him, say, stay awake, all right? We gotta get through this. With Jesus, it's not like that. Jesus, again, when he's there, he's there. He's faithful and he's just. He's true. He'll always be there. We get to the text, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. My Bible calls it the believer's triumph. Why? Because of what Christ has done and what he continues to do for us. This is the confidence we have. I titled this message, Confident. Okay? confident. There's going to be a series of questions being asked in the text. I broke them down into two sections, okay? And here's the big idea, that the believer in Christ, you and me, we're confident because there is no one, absolutely no one on this earth that can accuse you of sin right now. Amen? That's a good day. <laughs> Praise God. I'm like, yes, no one? No one. And two, there's no one Absolutely no one that could separate you from God. Okay, let me prove that to you, okay? Open up, again, with your Bibles, verses 31 through 39. Let me read this with you. Follow along with me. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? We all kind of know that verse, right? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Right? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for, we, for, your, for your sake, 
We are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. That is the truth of the gospel. There, there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from God's love. Paul He's letting them know, right? This is funny. I think about this. If we go back to Acts chapter 2, remember when Peter preached and all the Gentiles came to Jerusalem to worship, right? 3,000 got saved. They were believers from Rome, pagan Gentiles who took the gospel back to Rome and started the church. Paul didn't do it, but Paul is trying to get there. He goes, hey, I want to partner with you. Right? I want to get to where you guys are so I can help build you guys up and you're going to build me up because eventually I want to get to Spain. And I, me as a Latino, I'm like, amen. He was thinking about us, you know. Paul's like, I got to get to Spain. I got to get there. You know, that was, his, that was his goal, his intent. All his missionary efforts were get there, get there, get to Rome. Get to Rome. And then towards the end, you know that Paul wanted to get to Rome. Why? So that he could be before, be before Caesar. Here's the first point or first principle I want you to learn. Okay? Number one, I'm confident because there is no one who can accuse me. I am confident. I am confident in Christ because there's absolutely no one in this world that can accuse me of sin right now. Wow. Really? But I know you, Santiago. You've done some crazy stuff. Yeah. Believe me. If you don't know what you want to know, Joel's right here. He's right there. Ask Joe. We've been together since we were 15. He could tell you all my sin. Right? But in Christ, which I am, and hopefully you are too, there's absolutely no one that can accuse you of anything. Amen? Amen. And so there's five questions we're going to answer. Verse 31 and 30 through 34. Question number one, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? He begins the text opening up with this, in a sense, a rhetorical question, but he's, he's proving his case. In fact, I found out, this is unique, I can't remember the guy's school, but the first law school ever started in the United States, I can't remember the name, but did you know that that teacher, when he started the law school in the United States, he would teach and prepare lawyers how to argue a case using... The book of Romans. Right? Because this is what law, this is what Paul is doing. He's setting up the argument for the gospel. Okay? It begs the question, right? We were in my class. If you were with me like two semesters ago, right? And we we're studying. When you says, what things you're going to ask? What things? And you look back. And many scholars believe that Paul was not just pointing to Romans chapter 8, beginning 1 through 30. But he was going back all the way to chapter 1. So let me kind of give you a little recap of chapter 1 through now, real fast. He reveals the, re the revealer of righteousness, verses 1 through 17 of chapter 1. And in fact, there was a guy named, what? Started the Reformation, Martin Luther. 
he discovers verse 17 and he comes to faith, right? Because verse 17 is that the righteous shall live by faith. And that changed the whole world. In fact, we're here because of that one verse, right? Then then the rejection of the righteousness, beginning, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way to 320. This is how he's stating the case. A, humanity, because of their sinful nature, they always reject the gospel. They're going to reject the gospel. We don't want to hear it, right? If I come and I tell you, hey, man, you're a pretty bad person, do you want to hear me? No, you're like, who are you? And Paul is stating the case of humanity. He's like, look at what they do. But then here's the good part. Is the imputation of righteousness, the justification. And we'll get to that word again, verses chapter 3, 21 through 521. A, we're justified, we're declared not guilty. Because all of salvation has three parts. It has justification, sanctification, glorification. All of these parts make up salvation. That first part, justification, says, hey, you're not guilty. You ever, anybody ever stand before a judge? Come on, tell the truth. There you go. Thank you. There's five of us. All right. We're guilty. Everybody else is lying. Right? <laughs> Only kidding. Right? But if you've been there and you stand for the judge, right? I remember that I, when I was 22, caught a case because I came back to Chicago with my gun. Mm-hmm. Right? Second Amendment, all that good stuff. Right? I didn't know. I just drove back from California. I was in the Marines. Okay? Drove back with my gun. And one day, I took it out and ran right into the cops, and they locked me up. Stood two days in a prison cell right there. I think it was Christmas Eve, too. It was terrible, you know, because everybody was on vacation. I was sitting in the jail. I was like, man, this is what Jonah must have felt like when he was sitting in the belly of the whale. It's like, just think about it. Good thing I had, I guess it was funny. I was working with the cops, though. <laughs> so they go, don't worry about it. We took care of it. It's the Cook County way, you know? It's true. I literally walked into the jail, into the thing for my court, and a Cook County sheriff walked up to me. She said, are you Valentine?" I said, yes, I am. She goes, tell you say not guilty. I said, all right. And the, the, the district attorney says, Valentine, Santiago, present, case dismissed, not guilty. I was like, woohoo, bye-bye. Like, that's what God said. Justify. Hey, hey, guess what? Lori, not guilty. All right? John, not guilty. All right? Lourdes, not guilty. All right? James, not guilty. Right? Joey, a little bit guilty. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not guilty, right? You're, you're justified. All right? And then in chapter 6, the, rage, the, the, the reign of righteousness, the sanctification goes from chapter 6 all the way through, eight, through um, chapter 8, verses 17. We're being sanctified. Every day we're being a little bit better, right? We're being made a little bit God, right? I'm a holier today than I was yesterday, hopefully, right? Come on, not with me. I'm preaching to myself, all right? But it's the combination of the Holy Spirit in me and me, living in me and him. And we're walking this out together. And he says, turn left. And I go, okay. Turn right. And I go, okay. Which way do you go? Just keep going straight, right? And it's that sanctification process that God is doing in us and through us. And then finally he gets to the part, the reign of righteousness, which is glorification. Right? Verses 18 through 39, which we're going to cover here. But that was the purpose, he tells you. This is why you suffer. Because God, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a secret, ready? 
This is the whole sermon. You can go home now. Um, no, only kidding. Don't leave yet. It's going to get better. God is not about making you, it's not about making you happy. It's about making you holy. You understand that? I'm not on this world so that I can be happy and there's rainbows and it's a Skittles commercial, right? I'm going to go through stuff. I'm going to groan. I'm going to weep. But the Holy Spirit says, don't worry, I'll pray for you. I'll intercede now. I got this. The world groans and is complaining, right? If you don't believe me, go to the west side of Chicago. Go right now to Gaza. Go somewhere, and we're, go we're in the midst of pain, right? If you don't believe me, go to, go, just join me on Thanksgiving. I'll show you pain in my house. People are suffering. And God says, don't worry, in the midst of suffering, I got a purpose for it. You're going to get to look like my son. That is the goal. What should we say, right? So that we're looking back. That's all those steps. Okay? Question number two. Look at what he says. Who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. How will not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This verse points us back to Abraham in Genesis 22, where Abraham did not even spare his own son. Here, the same words are being used. The same word in Genesis 22, when he did not spare his own son, is the same word he's using here in the Greek. I'm not going to spare anything. I'm going to give you my very, very best. Nothing I'm going to withhold for you. I'm going to give you my son, and he's going to take care of you. And you're going to say, and we said, Amen, right? Yes. You giving me the son? Yeah, I'm giving you my son. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice him for you. That's the best I got. You understand? Father, look at you. That's the best I got. I'm, you understand? I'm, I'm not holding back anything. What's going to cost? Everything. Here's the son. Paul points us back to him and he says, hey, to show us the love of the Father, not willing to spare any price for our salvation. Amen? Verse 33 and 34. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Who's the one who justifies? Okay? The question is raised as a defense. Again, remember, I'm telling you back to that defensive question. It's a legal term. It means to be declared not guilty. Amen? Amen. Come on. I'm like, come on. I'm not guilty. Yay. You're free. Go. The legal position of believers before God for all of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But all who believe are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. As the judge, God was perfectly just in paying the penalty for and declaring, hey, guess what? Free to go. You're free to go. Let me, let me try to illustrate this in one sense. This young lady, she was driving through Long Grove one day, and she didn't realize it, but the cops were waiting on the other side of the bridge. And she went through Long Grove at an exorbitant amount of speed, ran right into the police. 
police pull over and say, young lady, do you know how long you were going, how fast you were going? She says, uh-uh. He goes, well, you were taking me going 20 over. Now that's a ticket. It's a new ticket in Illinois. Guess what? We got to pay, you got it. It's a $300 fine right now or 10 days in lockup. And she's like, I don't have it. She goes, I got to take you before the judge. Comes before the judge right down the street here. Young lady, do you know where you're going? Yeah. He said he got me on radar. It's going 20 over. How do you plead? Guilty. You got the money to pay the fine? No, I don't. Got to put you in jail 10 days. You can sit next to Santiago, okay? I was there. And then he gets up and he goes, let me see. And he got up from his Joel's thing. He took off his black cape, right? He hung it up, went over here, put on his jacket, walked around to her, sat next to her, reached in his wallet, pulled out the 100, 200, 300, puts it down, goes back up, takes off his jacket, comes over here, puts on his cape, comes back on and says, lady, young lady, someone has paid the penalty for you. You're free to go. That's what happened. You are justified. Think about it. Should a Roman emperor seek to bring a charge against a believer in Rome for worshiping a king other than Caesar? Right? That charge would have no effect in the eyes of God because God is greater. Amen? Should Satan seek to bring a charge against the elect of God in order to discredit their faithfulness? Such a charge would be unregistered. Why? Because God is greater. Listen to this. God has already brought all the charges that could have possibly brought up against the believer to the bar of justice, and he has declared them gone. The only one that could have accused you and me ever is God, because the one we sinned against was God. The one we offended was God. And yet God says, I got you. You're justified. You're clean. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you thinking about? Hey, man, did you not see outside? See? That's how exactly how I made you. See how white that is and clean that is? That's you now. Amen? Oh, come on, somebody. That was pretty good, right? God, God provided the illustration this morning. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting in the decrees against us, which is hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having it nailed it to the cross. Ta-da! Colossians 2. Think about it. There's no one that could accuse you because we do have one, right? This is found in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing in his right hand to what? To accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. It is not this brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments away from him, and to him, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said to him, Let them put on a clean turban on his head, 
so they could be um, so they put on a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Satan's there like, yeah, but he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. And God said, what are you talking about? Not guilty. And the accuser, he's like that. He's like that prosecuting attorney in Cook County. But over here, you got a, a lawyer, a really good lawyer. His name is Jesus Christ, all right? Right? But here's the thing. The judge is his father. <laughs> right? So when this guy comes in, he says, hey, hey, but he did this, and said, yeah, did this, and then this, and then the lawyer stands up, and he says, um, Abba? Papa? <laughs> yeah, yes, son. He's with me. <laughs> Not guilty. Come on, man. One more got away? Yes. Yes. Because of what Christ has done. There's no one, absolutely no one who can accuse you if you are in Christ Jesus. That should be the greatest gift ever, right? That's better than anything under the tree. I'm free. I'm free. There's nothing there. Final question. Who is it that condemns? Who condemns? Remember, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in, help me, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. There's no charge that can be brought against the elect of God. Then certainly no condemnation can be brought against them either. Again, Paul is summarizing what he taught previously. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been set free. You are not guilty. You know this verse, right? It's the most famous verse in the Bible. Anybody know it? I was watching Michigan beat Ohio, right? Did you, did you notice? If you looked at the screen, there was a big banner. I mean, huge banner, right? And it was talking, it said right there, John 3.16. I was like, there it is, there it is. And it, was, it wasn't like a little poster like this. I mean, this thing was probably about four feet wide and about eight feet long. They must have had some sticks holding it up. It was beautiful. And it was in uh, Michigan colors. You know, the royal blue with the yellow letters with the maize color. I was like, man, it looks beautiful. Right? But this is what it said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You all know that, right? Right? Let me give you the rest of it, all right? Because context matters, right? For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved, what? Through him. God didn't come to condemn us. God came to save us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God, Jesus. That's good news. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 13. And if you read it, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, Ephesians, beginning, you're going to hear this theme, in him, in him, in him, in him, 27 times throughout the book. Thir 11 or 13 times just in chapter 1. It says this, in him, see, we have obtained an inheritance, right? Because we went from being slaves of sin now to being sons of God. We got an inheritance coming for us, okay? Having been predestined, woo, according to the purpose 
of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, there it is again, might be to the praise of his glory. Here's the key verse. Ready? Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, faith comes by hearing. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. So somebody crazy like me shared the good news of Christ. You listen, and the Holy Spirit said, pay attention. That's about you. And you said, okay, I believe in him. Okay? Then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the order of salvation. You hear, you believe, and then you get sealed. Amen? Amen. That's it. Somebody like crazy like me shares the good news of Christ. You hear it, you believe it, and then you get the Holy Spirit. That's the order of salvation. There it is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Okay? Who is the guarantee? Look, this, I love it. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the down payment. How many guys have ever bought a house? Homeowners, raise your hand, right? What's the thing you got to do when you want that house? You put a thing called down payment. It's called earnest money, right? You put that earnest money down and you say, hey, I, that, that one, I want that house. That one, yeah, earnest money. Here you go, take my money, right? But same thing. When you put the earnest money down, can you take it back? Nope. After like three days, if you change your mind, tough luck for you. You put the money down. Christ gave us the Holy Spirit earnestly. That's my down payment. He's like, yo, hey, that one's mine. That's my daughter. That's my son. Yeah, those two are mine. That one I don't know about, you know. Um, yeah, because there's no Holy Spirit there. So when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's saying, yeah, I'm guaranteeing that one's mine. I purchased that. And that's what we're talking about. Because that good thing that he started with us, he's faithful. He's going to get us all the way to the end. Amen? Ain't God, right? We're all a work in progress. But God is the one getting us there. God is the one that's going to get us there. That's why there's no one that could accuse you. Because the only one that could have accused you forgave you. So there's absolutely no one else. Who, who, who could get before God and say, oh, I got something against him? Really? You got something against John? I forgave John. Past, present, and future. Oh, I got something against Tammy. I forgave her too. Past, present, and future. But what about tomorrow's sins? I already took care of tomorrow's sins because I, I exist outside of time. I see what's going to happen. I already forgave it. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What, what, you, you need to be quiet. You got nothing to say. Satan, shut up. Shut up. You were not predestined to salvation, right? For that would mean that God predestined some, right? If not all. Because when you think about it in that terms, and this is what we don't, it was not predestined to salvation, it was predestined to glorification for a purpose. Verse 29, he says, it. you were to be his glory because he who began a good work in you, he's faithful to complete it to the end. It is your glory. God is giving, he's going to get you all the way. Because why? Because you got to look like him. You got to look like him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand confident. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, there's no one who could accuse you of anything. If you are in Christ, let me say that again. If you are in Christ, 
In him, there's absolutely no one who can say anything bad about you. Oh. Really? Yeah, really. Nothing. Oh, not because Pastor Santiago said it. I'm just teaching you the word of God. It's because the scripture says no one. Ready? Number two. This is it. I'm confident because no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Woo! Okay? Verses 35 through 39. For what shall we, who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a quote from Psalm 44. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! Okay, we could go home now. Ready? No. Let me, let me share this with you. God's love is greater than the things of this world. 35 to 36. God's greater than tribulation. Right? And we're going to have some. But God overcame it, right? Distress. I like this word. I looked it up. It comes from a Greek word called stenokorea. All right? doesn't mean anything to you. doesn't mean really nothing to me until I explain it. It means a tight place. How many have ever been in a pinch? Right? We, we kind of say, we say it like this in the American idiom. Dude, I'm in a bind. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I, yeah. And God says, shh, shh, shh. I, I took care of that. Oh, but, but Jesus, you know, uh, I got bills. Yeah, I, I, don't worry. I got that. But, but you, don't, you don't know these people. Yeah, I, I got them too. Don't worry about that. It's talking about that distress. You're in a tight bind. You're, you're in this little thing, and you think it's, all, it's just coming up on you, and you're like, oh, my gosh, God, where are you? He goes, I'm here with you. I got this. That's the distress. Persecution. In America, we don't suffer this. Our brothers around the world, they do suffer this now. But how about one day if we do come to suffer this? Is that going to separate us from God's love? The answer is no. How about famine? Is that going to separate us from God's love? And the answer is How about nakedness? No. How about danger or sword? No. There's nothing in this world that's going to separate you from the love of God. He says this in verse 30, I'm more, I am a conqueror through him who loves me. I'm not a conqueror because I was a Marine or a soldier. I'm a conqueror because I'm in Christ, and he overcame all this stuff. So all I got to do is stand with him, amen? That's what you got to do. Let me give you a little bit of this Roman history. At the greatest extent of the Roman Empire, reached as far north to the British Isles, into Europe, and as far as modern Germany eastward, throughout Asia Minor and around the eastern Mediterranean Rim. South, throughout North Africa, the Romans were conquerors, builders in the tradition of the world's greatest empires. This is why when 
Mark writes his gospel, he's writing to them, to the Romans. Why? Because the gospel is the shortest gospel, but when you see, when you read the gospel of Mark, you see Jesus conquering, you know? He's kicking butt and taking names, right? Knocking down demons, raising the sick, casting out all this stuff. Why? Because that's who the Romans were. They were conquerors, all right? And he tells them, in the letter, as the Romans over time embraced the worship of many gods, look at this, and inherited from surrounding people, Isis, Dionysus, Mithra, Sibeli, and others, they were offered official recognition to long-standing religions such as Judaism. Rome had a, Rome had a pop, uh, thing. When they conquered a people, they let you keep your culture, your faith, everything. They just said, hey, just get in line. Pay your taxes. We're going to leave a battalion of, of our soldiers here just to make sure you don't get stupid, okay? But you can keep worshiping. Go to synagogue. Go to church. Worship who you want. You're good. We'll just add your God to one of our gods. It'll be all good. Okay? Don't worry. If you worship Jesus, worship Jesus. If you worship Zeus, worship Zeus. That's okay. All of this was continuing to go on. For nearly 30 years, Roman officials looked upon Christianity as a very insected Judaism, Right? They looked at the Jews and said, oh, the Christians, yeah, that's like an off-branch of Judaism. Those are just different kinds of Jews. And paid little heed to it, but as Christians became more numerous and tensions between Jews and Christians increased, witness in Rome historian Tacitus, he, he wrote a record of conflict among the Jews in Rome regarding one guy called Christus, which many people believe that that was Christ. Probably a reference, right? So the, the officials began to recognize that Christianity was different, and it was gaining an influence. Public officials began to turn against Christianity by AD 64, and then on July 19th, a fire swept through Rome. Remember this? Raging for seven days, destroying 10 of the 14 wards in the city. Many felt the Emperor Nero was responsible, and we know history now that he was. Using it as a form of urban renewal, <laughs> since he grabbed prime real estate after the fire in which to build his own new palace. You don't think this still happens? Okay. Watch the news. Turn aside from negative opinion to himself, right? And guess what he did? But who conquered? He's blamed it on the Christians. And the more he persecuted the Christians, the more the Christians grew. That's usually how it happens, church. Look at the book of Acts. Every time, every time you get persecuted, we kind of grow. People, you know, people are like, Lord, we need revival in this nation. We need renewal in my nation. Do you know how God has done it in the past? Suffering and persecution. Because he removes the chaff from the wheat and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really grow my church. Let's see who's really with me. The, Paul, the words that Paul wrote in Romans 8 was taking root during the seven years here. The persecution of the sword. It was coming, right? But God, Paul tells him, hey, no matter what Nero does to us, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Yeah, he's killing us. He's doing all this stuff. Don't worry about it. We're going to survive this. 
That's kind of the historical content of this. So we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Verse 38 and 39. God's love is greater. That was greater. God's greater was love of everything in the world. But now Paul points to things outside of the world. Things that we call in an unseen realm, possibly. God's love is greater than the things not of this world. Things that exist in that other realm where death exists. Is God greater than death? Yes, he is. Right? Greater than the life you're going through? Yes, he is. Is he greater than the angels? Yes, he is. Is he greater than any ruler? Yes, he is. Okay? How about the things that present? Is God greater than any of the stuff that we're going through right now? And the answer is, yes, he is. How about the things to come? Yes, he is. How about no powers? Right? Yes, he is. How about the heights? This is, I love this, because Paul was thinking, hey, look up, look up. See that highest cloud up there? God's love is greater than that. He's deeper than that. He's higher than that. Yeah, he's, he's way up there. Yeah, God loves you more than that. And then he goes, hey, and by the way, you ever, you ever been in the ocean on a boat? See how deep it is? That's the depth he's talking about. He goes, but guess what? God's love is greater than that. So from the stars in heaven to the deepest part of the oceans on the earth, God's love is greater. Amen? That's what he's going through. All of these things in creation, none of this can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. I can feel love. I can feel God, right? Who's ever felt God? Come on, like I said. Okay, half of us. The other half are repenting later. All right? There will be an altar time in a few minutes, okay, where you can come and ask for forgiveness. I know I failed God so many times. You know? Because I'm human. And sometimes my will doesn't want to obey God's will. But God is perfect. And he never, ever fails. We sing this song, ready? You want me to sing it? I don't want to sing it, but it's called One Thing Remains, right? It sounds like this, your love never fails, it never runs out, it never gives up on me, right? We just sing it, right? Or do we believe it, right? Your love never fails, it never runs out, it never gives up on me. Wow, your love never fails, it never gives up, and never runs out on me. That's why there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This is what I want you to know, and I'm going to close here from this series. We began with no condemnation, verses 1 through 8. And then we talked about because of the Spirit, we are not of the flesh, verses 9 and 11. And then we went from being slaves of sin to being heirs and sons of God, verses 12 through 17. And then there's a future glory. Despite our suffering, there's glory coming. There's glory coming, but we're perfecting it. We're perfecting it. You ever been in that crucible, right? He heats it up and he heats it up and he heats it up, right? You ever see what the, the I forgot, the, I can't think of his name right now. But he makes the gold and the silver. 
and he heats it up and he heats it up, right? And all the impurities rise to the top. And what does he do? He scrapes it and he heats it up and he heats it up and he heats it up. And all the impurities rise to the same, and then he scrapes it up. And he keeps doing that until one day when he could look at the silver of the gold and he could see his own reflection in that, and then he goes, okay, it's done now. This is why we go through suffering, because all that garbage is rising to the top, right? You got to get all those bad attitudes and all those bad words you want to say to him and, you know, wishing you could bless that brother with a brick upside the head in the name of Jesus, right? Why? Because that's all that impurity, because that's not what Christ would do. Christ says, hey, I, I love you. I'll never give up. I'll never run out on you. You could be as stupid as you want. I'm here. Do it. And he keeps raising and raising the heat until we look like him. That is the purpose, the glory that we're going to have in Christ is that one day we will be just like him. He helps us in our suffering through the Holy Spirit, verses 26 through 30. And then we have confidence, and here's where we're finishing. This is the confidence we have in his love, right? There's no one that could accuse you, and there's no one that could separate you. We began with no condemnation. We are ending with no separation. Amen? Amen. That is the book of Romans, chapter 8.